Welcome back, everyone. It is time for another episode. Thank you so much for choosing us. We hope you, um, well, we hope you come every week to to spend your boxing time with us. Um, for those of you, this is your first time. I'm Angelo. That over there is Lex. Say hello, Lex. Here. And we got ourselves um, quite a week coming up. It was dry last weekend. I mean, very dry. I was sitting there Saturday night, not knowing what to do with myself, stewing, because I didn't know what to turn on to, on the TV. I don't want, I did, because like about 8.30, I'm on the West Coast, about 8.30 p.m., that's either main event time or it's like we're deciding if we need to do a podcast because of whatever just happened in the main event of whatever card we had going on. You know, we had Shakur a couple weeks ago. We had Joe Joyce uh, just sleeping Joseph Parker. Well, he didn't sleep him, but you know what I mean. And uh, I was like sitting there like, I, I had a paper. I wrote down PBC. I wrote down top rank. I might have put X's next to their name, a little, a little skull next to them because I was not happy with them. No cards for us. But I got over it because I thought about this weekend. And uh, this weekend's looking good. Nah, this this weekend is definitely like name brand value aside. This is, in my opinion, a very very good week of boxing. You're getting good action from different promoters, uh, meaningful fights, fights that'll very likely be action packed, and so there's not much to complain about. And one of the big fights is in the UK, so we're gonna like it's gonna be one of those days where you could just pop down middle of the afternoon. Get your little UK fix on, and then we can sh like shift right over to the the American stuff. If you're on the East Coast, fall asleep, uh, and then wake up halfway <laughs> through the American card, wondering what's going on. You know, um, here's something that like I just you just kind of like made me think about. So you remember back in the day in the Showtime HBO era, it maybe happened once a year if we were unlucky twice. But for the most part, you know, we were scot-free all year long. But just every now and then, they would counter-program each other. And you Once in a while, Showtime, yeah. And it, yeah, you'd have a Showtime HBO card going on same time. And the reaction on social media would typically be like... It was like the one time where everyone, regardless of who you wanted to win was on the same page you guys are pricks why are you scheduling this at the same time hmm. and i feel i feel like for the most part that is gone people don't complain about that anymore no that's definitely not a thing anymore not at all because showtime and espn like are frequently going ahead head to head uh golden boy every now and then will throw something out there the UK, um, I mean, I feel like these dudes are always trying to counter-program each other, and it's more implicit over there. But I don't know. I could be wrong. But um, this weekend, not no overbooking. It's just like, you know, you're going to be in the front of the TV for a while. And look, some of these undercard fights may not be great, but after this past weekend, you'd be so happy. I think you'll be watching. But anyway, let's start over in the UK. We have Chris Eubank Jr., 
who has been on the scene for quite a long time. I, I don't know if you realize this, but like Eubank fought Billy Joe Saunders in 2014. That was eight years ago. He um, will be facing Connor Ben, who has uh, debuted in 2016, um, really didn't fight anyone of note until 2020 in the, you know, deep in the pandemic when he fought Sebastian Formella. He got a decision over Formella, stopped Sam Vargas, decisions Adrian Granados, knocks out Chris Algieri in what was uh, a very, very poor, well, wasn't quite the Chris Algieri we all uh, know and love, but nevertheless, Conor Ben won. Stops Chris Van Heerden, and then here he is, jump making the big jump from 147 up to, I mean, effectively it's middleweight, but it's going to be 157 pound catch weight. And so, before we get into, um, you know, who we think is going to win this and how we see it playing out, blah blah blah. Anytime a fighter is going to jump up two weight classes, what is the line we typically hear? Daring to be great. Yeah. Daring to be great. So let me ask you this. Is Connor Ben daring to be great? Uh no, I don't think so. Wow. I don't really oh. understand. I haven't understood this fight for a while. Like what like what why? Why make him fight a guy that's fought it? Because you may fought it one. One uh one sixty eight, right? He has fought at one sixty eight. He has not not consistently, but he has. Why it's like why as a welter do you fight a guy that's been as high as like one sixty and one sixty eight? I I truly don't understand the origin, the point of this fight, the timing of it. It's so it's so weird, and I have like theories. I I think I want to hear what you have to say about it, but um. I wouldn't call it daring to be great. I just think this is the fight that was presented to him. I think him, like most boxers, aren't scared of anything. So they're 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 with it, you know? He, he's going with it and we'll see what happens. Well, there are a number of elements as to why. I think okay, let's take let's just look at it from Connor Ben's perspective. And and when I say Connor Ben, we're gonna look at not just, you know, his personal perspective, but like the people around him. I think for Conor Ben, just him personally, you look at the landscape at welterweight. This guy has uh, essentially been in the mix for two years now. We'll say that that uh, Formella fight and the victory put him in the mix to be in the, the, the discussion with like the top dogs at welterweight. And if you look at the welterweight landscape, where is he going to get a fight that's not a gatekeeper? Terrence Crawford is not does not know who Conor Ben is and is not going to pick up a phone call or he will hang up immediately if somebody mentions Conor Ben. He'll say who and hang up. Same goes for Spence. Same goes for Ugas. Also, Ugas is, uh, I mean, one, I don't think his eye is healed. Two, I don't know if you ever looked at his Instagram, but he's uh, enjoying life. <laughs> he's enjoying that check he got off of Arrow. Oh, and, and, and the people around him are certainly uh, enjoying it as well. 
Um, but Virgil Ortiz. So Virgil Ortiz is an interesting one because you would think that this is a fight that's easy to make. And I'm just going off of the list on Box Track right now. Virgil Ortiz is a good one, I think, and it would be a pretty daring prospect versus prospect matchup. But it doesn't make sense for Virgil's side because if you think about it, what does Virgil gain um, beating Connor Ben? Connor Ben, I mean, if we're being real, is still seen as a prospect, even though like the wins say he's probably not quite prospect level still. You can't really justify the the Connor Ben win for Virgil as anything other a hor- other than a horizontal move in the U.S. Now, if you're in the U.K., you may not feel that way. That's fine, but in the U.S., that's just not how it's gonna gonna play. And like the play for Virgil, as it should be for Connor and Jerron Ennis, who we're gonna talk about in a bit, is like how do I have a win take me closer to that title um, fight and there is most likely within six months time going to be only one champion at welterweight unless the sanctioning bodies do what they do and try to make the sport worse then there will be numerous champions which you know my point goes out the window but i think there's going to be only one champion and so it is going to be really hard to position yourself to get a fight with that champion when there's going to be a list of three mandatories there so for virgil ortiz fight doesn't make sense same reason for jerron s then you think of cody crowley well, what does Connor Ben bring him? Well, it probably does help Cody Crowley, who's undefeated 21 and0, but Crowley's really close to getting a mandated shot from the IBF. So why sacrifice that? Don't make sense. Keith Thurman, he's going to hang up the phone. He doesn't know who Connor Ben is, uh, and that's just below him at this point. Stanionis is technically a champion, but Stanionis also is going to get mandated a shot at the eventual welterweight champion. So he ain't picking up the phone. And then we go down. Now we're past the point of guys who've got names that matter at welterweight. Now we're looking at like David Avanesian, who Connor Ben's team has said, we're not fighting him. Alexis Rocha, who Rashidi Ellis already smoked. No need to fight him. Uh, Radza Butaev, Stanios just beat him. No need. Dulani Menge, Beng, I don't know how to say this. Uh, yeah. Ben gains nothing from basically fighting any of these guys. Uh, down this list, Rashidi Ellis, Cassio Clayton, Abel Ramos, Jamal James, Kuchi Abdukakarab, Blair Cobbs. Um, whether you think he wins or not, it doesn't matter. What does Connor Ben get? Because at this point, he thinks, and it is clear based off of his action, he thinks he's worth a big time fight with the top welterweight or something equivalent. And Chris Eubank Jr., is that something equivalent move? I guess. I mean, if if he wins, people will just be like, ah, oh, he was late trained and blah, blah, blah. I I just, I don't know. But, it just seems but, like a dumb, it seems dumb to risk his career on this type of fight. So, in a sense, yes. But I don't think that there's anything else for him to do, first of all. Second, he's 26 years old. And he's already popular, well, somewhat popular in the UK. I don't think he's like a superstar. He's not Joshua, but he's good enough to main event. Um, he's popular enough to main event cards at, at a minimum. And so for Connor Ben, a loss to Chris Eubank Jr. while going up in weight, and your name already came in with a lot of weight on it. I mean, his name came in with more weight than 
David Avanesian is ever going to have in his career. And Conor Ben didn't even have to fight. So Conor Ben already has put himself in a position far greater than most of these guys in the top 50 are ever going to have. So that's one. And, and two, I think if you look at... So here's the reason why I think if you're his handlers, and this overlaps, I think, a little bit with Conor Ben's thinking, why it makes sense. Chris Eubank Jr. is not that good. I know he's only lost two times. He's athletic. He's looked strong. He's got a great chin. But Chris Eubank Jr.'s resume take away a couple of guys, and this looks like Dimitri Andrade's resume. Hmm. I mean, really, except Eubank has challenged a few guys who are pretty good. And of the guys he's fought that are pretty good, he lost to both. Matt Korobov was probably going to beat him unless he would have gotten caught. I don't know if you saw those two, the, the Korobov fight. We only got a round and a half of that. He got injured immediately. Yeah, but Eubank looked clueless. Korobov was jabbing the shit out of him. The James DeGale fight, I mean, I'll give him the win over DeGale, but... James DeGale was like, like that was not the same guy that like, that was actually good. And so George Groves and Billy Joe Saunders both had pretty easy time with, um, with Chris Eubank Jr. So there is a, there is at a minimum, a theory on how you can beat Chris Eubank Jr. And I think for Connor Ben's people, they like, look, this guy's been fighting at 168. We're going to drag him all the way down to 157. That should take away a bit of his power. He's going to be fast, but he's also not very active in the ring. And he's unorthodox, but so is Conor Ben. Quite possibly, everything is neutralized here. And now we just have to bet that Conor Ben is a better boxer. And he's going to be a stronger fighter at 157 than he is at 147. Easy theory. And, like, if you believe that, it's really easy to see Conor Ben beating this guy. I guess. <laughs> if he loses, though, big setback. No, I, I think the, the excuses that are built in of him moving up in weight, he'll, he'll get a pass. Yeah, but, man, if he loses, like, like we're talking about he could get slept, right? Is it fair to think that? Well, well, no. Even if he gets slept, I don't think it's bad. It's only bad if he gets, like, you know, they need to pull the oxygen out. <laughs> like if he gets done greasy? <laughs> There's levels to, the, to a knockout, and when they pull out the oxygen in the UK, you know you, your head just bonked off the canvas. If we're talking that type of knockout, okay, I think there's, you know, there's some very real issues for Conor Ben. I mean, look, if you want to play devil's advocate, you can say, like, look, if Chris Eubank Jr. comes out here and, like, sleeps this dude, clearly he, like, he would not be able to hang at 147. And you'd be right. I would agree with that, too. Yeah, I'd still, I, if I was running his matchmaking, I'd give a shot to PBC and try to get, like, Abdu Kakarov or, uh, or who's Stanionis just beat? Butayev. Butayev. I don't mind playing that like 
let's see who did it better game. I think it's good in boxing to do that sometimes. It's kind of lazy and like not creative, but sometimes you got to do it. And sometimes it's good to do it because if you do it the right way, you could get a boost off of beating a guy better than someone else. No, no, no. See, doing that, as much as like we clown on that on this podcast, and I think everyone does, it's like, look, bro, yes, you stopped Van Heerden faster than Errol Spence, but you're at different points in your career. And like, I don't know if you realize this, but Van Heerden is like eight years older and like four losses, like four beatdowns. Uh, it's four beatdowns later. Like, this is not the same guy. Okay. <clears throat> as much as we would like clown on that stuff, I will counter with like a marketing term, I think, which is that when you have these common opponents, and they did this beautifully with Mayweather and Pacquiao, which is, you know, this is the reason why that fight was one of the reasons why it did so well. You're creating synergy. You need that sort of, those sort of connections because it helps to paint a broader picture and tell a story that people can get invested in, which is why you see this play out all the time. It's why 150, like Jermel Charlo's run at 154 is just, it feels so much more complete than um, Devin Haney's. Devin Haney didn't really have to go through any, it, like he didn't have to go through the journey at 135 uh, or of, of beating all these guys, you know, that either fought for titles or won the title. He just kind of went straight to the dude and, was, and, and smoked him, which is like, you know, not to put down the win or anything, but the story that Jermel Charlo's victory had, or he had, didn't have the same thing. You could say Usyk. Usyk's run at, at cruiserweight felt a lot more complete than the one that um, uh, you could even, yeah, you could say Haney got at 135. But because you had that synergy. And so, I mean, I, I would like the, the next level of this, you know, Granados and Van Heerden aren't quite, you're telling a story, but it's not quite a story I'm ready to hear or I want to hear at this point. But Butayev? I'm kind of down for that. I also think it'd be a great fight. It's a good fight. See, my thing with matchmaking is like, if you're going to do a tough fight, or wait, wait, wait. Your fight should either be like showcase, but fair, or tough, but winnable. I think that's the proper balance, at least from my viewpoint. Mm -hmm. Unless it's like, you're at a point where like, you're at the end of the road, and it's it's like like Joe Smith and Better Beef. Like, where the fuck is Joe Smith gonna go? Like, Better Beef made sense. Back to work. <laughs> huh? Back to work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But he he got bagged up, and so for for Ben, like I like you, Ben could and could potentially be biting off more than he could chew. So like, when you step that back, and it's like, okay, who's a fight that? We'll get some recognition for beating the guy. People will respect it. Like you said, it's a compelling storytelling opponent. And and I I like uh Butai for that reason. And like to be honest, because Butai lost his last fight, like who do you who in PBC do you throw him in with? Here's the plot synopsis. Ooh, sorry. Siri, chill out. Apple Watch, my bad. <laughs> No, let's hear. What is the plot synopsis? What's she trying to give you for? I don't know what the hell she brought up, um, but but yeah, like who, uh, like who, 
who could Butai fight on PVC coming off a loss to Stanionis? I actually think I know who's in a fight, but um, I'd have to really rack my brain, which I probably shouldn't do right now. Um, but for, okay, but here's the thing. For Ben, I think the question is, why didn't they take the Avanesian fight? Because that checks off a lot of the boxes that we that we're asking or that you've put out here. Why didn't you take that fight? And and this is why I'm suspicious about this fight. I think, and this is like tinfoil hat time. Yeah, it's conspiracy time. Tinfoil hat time. I think because Eddie didn't get. Her uh, AJ versus Usyk two to DAZN, he was on the hook for a pay per view, and mm-hmm. I think I think he needed to deliver one. I gotta say, you throw out a lot of stupid counter uh, conspiracy theories, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and while I usually find them amusing, I definitely very rarely find them super plausible. This one might be your best one. All right. You got you to gotta throw in some like uh, crowd cheering uh, VFX or whatever the fuck it is. I don't, I don't think I got that. A, a soundboard of like clapping. Oh, I got that on the soundboard. Yeah. Let's, throw that what do we got for you? Um, well, well this, okay, here, you know. I'll hit you with this one. That far exceeded anything I could have imagined. <laughs> and every bit of it was an unexpected gift. Uh, that's hilarious. I, yeah, I think that... Um, are we sure? How do we know that's that... Been- how do, how do we know they just didn't want to do like multiple that's, interviews? That's been my day one theory because it's like, okay, you did this big like splash into the UK, the zone, but like they haven't delivered anything that's like juicy quite yet. Like they missed it. Every AJ fight was supposed to be on the zone, then it wasn't. It's like what like what what if you're the zone executive, do you have to show to like whoever you report back to? It's been shitty so far for the UK fans, as far as I understand. And like, I'm not a UK fan and I'm quick to talk down on the UK, but I'm actually interested in how this fight plays out because I think Eubank is going to beat Ben's ass. <laughs> and, and so, and, and like, my next thing will be if I'm right about Eddie Hearn being on the hook for a pay per view, maybe I'm not, maybe I am. But if I am and Ben loses, you you have to think twice about signing to Eddie Hearn because his his willingness to put his fighters in extremely compromising situations is is too high. It's too high. It's too selfish. It's not smart. And he does it time and time again. We've seen it like a shitload of times since he's gotten like the zone deal. Basically, we saw it with AJ and Andy. We saw it with AJ with Usyk. For real, for real. Because if if Hearn was smart, he would have just dropped the WBO. He was so busy trying to like live up to undisputed and all this nonsense that they got out out position. He did it with Canelo in the dumbass bivol fight. 
He did it with uh, who else did he? Oh, Kel Burke and Triple G. That was stupid. Like, why do you send your? It's the same thing. Why do you send your fighter or your welterweight to fight a middleweight who has power? It makes no sense. For well, what to just get a, get his ass beat and and sell tickets? Like that's dumb. In the in the Brook case is like literally like why are you sending this dude to a firing squad? Like that was not a great idea. But I will counter your point with this, and I think this is a mic drop moment. In the year 2022, there are still people that have signed with Don King. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So like, yeah, but what, what what tier are we talking about? Like, if you're like a, hold on for a second. Like, uh, if you're a a, a future hot uk fighter or if matchroom usa continues to run which i doubt it will but like why would you sign to him like he doesn't it's clear he doesn't care about his fighters he treats them like like spoiled kids treat toys they'll beat it up and break it and expect their daddy to buy them a new one that's how eddie treats his fighters uh well i mean If you offer money, I mean, like, we've seen this play out before. So, like, I mean, in theory, what you're saying makes sense. But, like, you really asked me to say, like, oh, why won't people do what makes sense? And it's like, well. Well, I'm, I'm not saying no one should sign to him. There's always going to be people that sign to him. But if you're of a certain tier, there will be other options. Yeah, and I've seen people of certain tiers sign to, like, bootleg shoe companies and stuff and other sports. It's like. You're, there's always going to be guys that's just like going to do something different or just like do something that don't make any sense to you is like that. Well, then sign Eddie Hearn and it tests your luck, you know? And that's, that's how you feel. Test your luck. But I well, mean, like, realistically, you know, they have missed out on a lot of the prospects coming up right now because Boxer really took a lot of the steam out of their their sales uh by signing these dudes uh what's the can't remember Ooh, like denzel whitaker or whatever yeah yeah you know th that is a top well we'll see how it plays out but on paper at least you know the the idea behind him is that that is a top tier prospect um i don't well, know i mean he, I, I think it, he but... either he met uh, he may have meddled but if he didn't he went pretty far he's got the looks he's got sugar hill like he's got like the it factor all right, the it factor, I I would prefer for, for, for a UK fighter, for a UK fighter, not not here, not all around, um, but for it, a UK it fighter, factor, it transcends everything. You no, know, I mean if that kid if that kid can fight and has some knockouts, like he'll he he has a big future in the UK. I can't speak for in America, but he could be one of the guys out there. So I mean, but let let's talk about um, for Eubank. If he loses this fight, I mean, it's got to be over for this guy, right? If he loses, yeah, he's done. He's retiring. If he wins, he's going to be calling out Triple G. Well, but here's the thing. <laughs> That's funny. But um, Chris Eubank Jr. goes from, you know, comes over to PBC in 2019 and is on the path to fight Jamal Charlo. They're lined up on a card in late 2019 with the ex expectation being 2020, they would be fighting. 
and uh, the pandemic hits, so that didn't happen. And when the pandemic is over, and it looks like it's it's time for Eubank to get back in the ring and fight Jamal Charlo, which ultimately being Sergey Dravinchenko, Eubank leaves and goes back to the UK. And he doesn't fight until the following year on, uh, like, I think he fights, like, on a matchroom card or something. And he basically just disappears. Goes, uh, goes, I guess, not really. But he has another fight, and then he faces Liam Williams at 160. Clearly, there's no, there's really no direction for where this dude's career is going. And now we're, and in the meantime, calls out Canelo, calls out Golovkin. And now instead of pursuing those guys and like actually getting those fights or um, fighting any other like top name middleweight, like, I don't know, Demetrius Andre still out there looking for something to do. He chooses to fight Conor Ben at a catchweight. I mean, yo, to be honest, he may just be on some like on some like one foot out the door type shit. And he's just like going with whatever comes his way that gets him the most money. Cause like I, I was saying this before. I feel like I I don't know if it is or not, but I feel like this fight should be a big deal in the UK. Like this is a cool matchup to me. This is like Converse Brook. Sure, it's late, but whatever. Like th- you have fun storylines. I don't know how high stakes it is, but like the loser will definitely have a lot to deal with. It, it's just fun. This is a cool little fight. Like I'm definitely, I there's not many UK fights I look forward to, but this is one of them. Well, I think like, you know, when you say he might have one foot out the door, you know, his dad was a, a fighter, so he he didn't grow up broke. He didn't have to fight his way out of a situation, which is you know how a lot of the best fighters wind up. I mean, not even the best, but a lot of fighters, good or otherwise, like that is the origin story, you know, pulling yourself up from your bootstraps, fighting your way out of whatever. That's not Chris Eubank Jr. He's had periods of inactivity. He's had periods where he looks, you know, uninterested in boxing. He's had fights where he just has no trainer, Um, which, by the way, very eerie when you have a fighter who has no trainer and like between rounds, they're just like sitting there in silence. Um. So there's all this stuff related to his career that would lead one to believe that, you know, he, there's some variation of one foot out the door. Um, so yeah, let, let's think of like examples of dudes who've tried to dare to be great. There's obviously, and I think this is probably where the term got most, got the most traction and became like a thing, at least that I remember, is Canelo Khan. And um, this is a fight that I was at. Now, do you recall how this one ended? Ugly. Uh, it ended with um, Amir's head bouncing off the canvas uh, very brutally. I was at this fight. And, and Virgil Hunter giving a very, like, lame post-fight interview, in my opinion. No, 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 no. Virgil Hunter, you know, like... Um, he gave the the he gave a post fight promo on Canelo that like a mom gives to the kids like their son or daughter's bully 
who's like old, like in a couple grades older and bigger. It's like, you need to go pick on the kids your own age. Clearly, you know, you got, you, you have confidence issues that you need to work out. Your mom ought to be ashamed of you. That's kind of the, the vibe of Virgil Hunter's speech to Canelo. But like in that situation, I just want to say like, well, Virgil, where were you when Khan signed the contract? You're yeah, like, why even train your fighter if you if you know it's gonna go down? Like Nazim Richardson, I'm pretty sure didn't train B Hop versus Joe Smith Jr. because he knew what time it was. Is that for real? A lot, a lot of trainers say that, man. They're like, I'm not gonna train my guy if he's just fucking going into a suicide mission. It's stupid. No, no, I, I yeah, yeah, I, I believe that, but I never heard the that story about uh, Nazim and B Hop. That's one of my betting rules, by the way. If the trainer disappears, randomly. if the trainer mysteriously vanishes, there might be a reason why. It's not always the case, Darrell but there might, huh? Darrell knockout over Caleb Plant. <laughs> no, nah, but I, I don't. Here's the, the difference: is Plant picked Breadman. Nas didn't. Nas left Beehop. Like Gamble didn't leave Plant. He got kicked out basically. As far as we know. Yeah. Uh, as far, yeah, I don't know what the story is, and I've asked around, and no one seems to know the story. But yeah, e- either way, man, I just, I don't know. Fight's weird. A lot of weird elements. We mentioned Kelbrook versus um, Golovkin. That- oh, okay. So yeah, Kelbrook Golovkin. Khan uh, Canelo, um, other daring to be greats. Those were like the main two. Mikey versus Spence, obviously. Hey, <laughs> you could put that on there. How, how, how? So thus far, Mikey's performed the best, and that was a horrible performance. Well, actually, it wasn't a horrible for, what performance. It was like, and he still got the shit beat out of him. Uh, I, I mean, I have a couple where it went well. But I'm just letting you get a couple. I can't even think of other ones, to be honest. Try like remind me. Okay. Rigando going up to fight uh Lomachenko. <laughs> Yo, what a stupid fight that was. No, see, that was a great fight because Rigando was like under like most of these are suicide missions, but a suicide mission isn't bad when you know like what the what the score is. And he knew it was a suicide mission. And so he decided, he's like, you know what? I'm just gonna eject. Dude shows up, makes Lomachenko miss a bunch of punches, Lomachenko lands a bunch of arm punches, Rigano takes very little damage, and then decides, like, hey, I'm clocking out. I'm going home early. Yeah, him quitting was funny because it's not like anything happened. Like, he was mostly dodging Lomachenko's punches. He was just like, fuck this shit. Like, like, what's the point? It was like the worst possible variation of, like, the ideas. Like, look, these are two gold medalists. They're both good defensive fighters. Great footwork on the both of them. Um, and you're like, wait, wait, wait a second. I just want to make sure I'm hearing you clearly. Great amateurs. You're saying they were great amateurs. You're like, oh yeah, absolutely. You're like, so they're good at hitting cl- cleanly, but not actually getting hit that much. Yeah, this could be shit. 
And it turns out it was shit. Um, so yeah, that's another one where it didn't go so well. One where it did go well, Manny Pacquiao moving up to fight Oscar De La Hoya. Yeah, but De La Hoya was, was cooked. But I guess that was part of the uh, the picking. Well, do you remember when Freddie, I think it was in a 24-7, he said that the reason why he he knew that Manny was going to beat up Oscars because he saw um, yeah, the needle marks or whatever on Oscar's arm. I do remember that. So, like, what is the moral of the story there? Like, if you're getting uh, IV injections, like, do you just not put it in a visible spot or or what? <laughs> the moral of the story is, like, for yo, th- I would like to do a podcast on, like, like, different boxing timelines. Like, could you imagine a boxing timeline where Oscar De La Hoya was like, I don't care that Cotto... Like I'm still taking Coda, whatever. Because that was what was supposed to happen. I don't repeat you. You may not remember, or people may not remember, no, but I, De La Hoya wanted Coda to beat Margarito so he could get the big Mexican Puerto Rico send off, and it, it just never panned out. I mean, there's a couple of things that needed to happen there. One, um, Margarito would need to have not like bashed Coda's head in. But two, uh, Oscar would have needed to have been able to beat Cotto. And, well, here's the question. Would Oscar have done better at, well, as a welterweight? Uh, I think the answer to, to both questions is no. But would he have done better against Cotto than he did against Pacquiao? Uh... Maybe. I feel like the fight would have been at 54, to be honest. Mm. Cotto was... I don't think he had been at 147 for that long at that point. He had... He'd been there for like a decent amount. He hadn't fought at 154 yet. But I think the whole thing with the Pacquiao fight was like... It had to be at 47. Like that was Pacquiao's like one modicum of leverage. Was like, all right, like... We're not doing this fight at anything over 47. And De La Hoya took it thinking he's like a little midget. Little did he know. What's the uh, <laughs> what's the gift where it's like the old man getting robbed and he pulls out a gun himself? Uh, call an ambulance, but not for me. Yes, that was Pacquiao, Oscar De La Hoya. <laughs> no, for, for real though, because like people actually thought that that wasn't going to play out that way. I wish I, I'd love to see the odds for that fight. I've never looked them up. Nah, I I remember like people thinking it was dangerous to just toss Pacquiao in there with De La Hoya. Little do we know, Pac was the old man with the gun. So Antonio Margarito loses or, or beats Cotto in July of 08. Pacquiao fights De La Hoya in December of 08. So. Yeah, like he could have literally finished off the year against uh, against uh, De La Hoya. What a time! Just did, could it, there's a lot. Like I'm telling you, we gotta do a podcast like this because I was thinking just 
today, for, for, for where Joshua is right now, which is down pretty bad in my opinion, if Hearn had just made the Wilder fight, how crazy boxing would be right now. It would be so different. Like, can you imagine a world where we got like two or three Wilder versus AJ fights in Vegas, huge fights, Fury is in no man's land. So like, like that whole bit of like Fury being on Instagram every day with fucking filters, that shit is out the window. AJ or Wilder still has all the belts. Like it, it, it's just a whole different. It's so crazy to think about that, in my opinion. I, I to to me, my version of this is I always think of what would have happened if uh, Andre Berto had got the decision over Victor Ortiz in their first fight, because that sets. I I think that sets so many things in motion. Uh, so the winner obviously fights Floyd. If Berto, what do you call that? Is it is it butterfly effect? Where it's like one thing triggers another thing, and I guess it's a butterfly effect. Well, you could I mean, if we go even further back, uh, if maybe the earthquake in Haiti doesn't happen, Berto doesn't pull out of the Mosley fight. So Mosley doesn't get that fight against Floyd. Or maybe he does. He still pulls out of the fight for whatever reasons. But Mosley then gets the fight against Floyd. So what happens if uh, in any, either of these situations, Berto is next in line to fight Floyd? How things all play out from there? Um, specifically from the point of um, Ortiz Berto, you know, Floyd soon after his HBO deal is up, does he go to Showtime? Does the whole um, Victor Ortiz thing even happen where he's he's got to, you know, punish Ortiz for, for throwing the headbutt? That's, that's crazy. Like we like I don't know I, I could talk for hours about like some of the things that could have played out if that fight happens or or or, or really the the fight goes a, a different way. Also, just a great fight too. I think Floyd inevitably goes to Showtime. Honestly, I I, I, I just don't think it was a good. I don't, and go going back to what we talked about on the the the, the pre pod or whatever. It was a bad cultural fit because HBO was going in a different direction. The announcing was getting worse. The 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 whole who they were pushing, oh. that's when a lot of the nonsense started. I know actually no no no, it's not that. I know why. So, I don't think I've ever told this story on this podcast, but I've definitely told it on our Patreon. So, I read the HBO oral history book and uh it's by the way, all the stories, in, even from us, you've heard in the past about HBO boxing, they're mostly wrong. And the reasons why boxing no longer is on HBO is not what you think it is. The, the death of HBO has began of, in the early 2000s, and it was just a slow death from there. And like everything was a perpetuation on, on, on um, certain things that happened. Uh, so you can... Not really, you know, you could still blame Peter Nelson, but Peter Nelson literally was given, uh, he was given the Titanic to, to save, except it was already, half of it was already up in the air. So, whatever. But you still shit talk him all you want. Anyway, so I'm sorry if you're here for like the super in-depth um, Ben Eubank preview. But, Breakdown. <laughs> but uh, we're going to veer off in Pandora. We'll talk about you in just a little bit. But anyway, I believe it was Mayweather De La Hoya. 
Okay. HBO had a pretty hotshot CEO and his name is Chris Albrecht. And, uh, it's been a while since I may get a couple of details wrong here, but I will get the gist of the story all correct. So Chris Albrecht was a great CEO and he had a great eye for talent and some of the great shows of HBO history that, you know, and love Chris Albrecht was the one who like had those, um, either put in motion was, um, they aired during his tenure or they debuted soon after, like they were in production already at the time of his departure. Now, one of the things about Chris Albrecht is Chris Albrecht, like many of the executives, and this is, the, this is one of the main reasons why HBO boxing continued to exist in the way that it did. There was nothing like as a group of executives heading out to Vegas for a weekend for a big fight that they were broadcasting a big pay-per-view and those tended to be like uh, Oscar De La Hoya fights. And so on the weekend of Mayweather versus De La Hoya, which would break pay-per-view records, and it would be a tremendous night for HBO boxing, our boy Chris Albrecht, the CEO of uh, HBO, would be arrested for domestic violence. Did he do it or not? You know, maybe, maybe not. Maybe the, the accounts vary on what happened, but he allegedly might've got a little physical with his girlfriend. Or actually, I think she was his mistress, but whatever. And so the guy who was, you know, really protective and wanted to keep HBO boxing because of, you know, the ability to go out and live the high roller life for a weekend. Um, soon after had to resign really he was fired but he had to resign from his post as a ceo and in stepped a couple of guys um or well would it ultimately ultimately be one guy um richard plepler who was not a, a sports fan period but didn't like boxing thought it wasted a lot of money and you know began to slice the budget pretty quickly which the budget had already been sliced but it started to go down pretty quickly. And so, yeah, the moral of the story is don't hit your mistress. <laughs> uh, but, but at a minimum, if you're like Chris Albrecht, like maybe just don't choke her or have shouting, shouting matches in public. Like the dude, if you've ever been to the MGM Grand, this happened in like the, the lobby where you arrive where this dude got to shouting match and may or may not have allegedly, I don't know, uh, might've placed his hands in the vicinity of her throat. So that's what happened. And that's how HBO boxing, uh, began. Well, it, that's the accelerant to the downfall of HBO boxing. I always thought it was like those, the, the AT&T merger, but the AT&T merger, they were just like, yo, you have an animal that's bleeding here. Why are you just going to let it completely bleed dry? So, and if, if you think about it, HBO was going to like bleed completely dry because at that point when they decided DAZN was already, um, had already launched or was going to launch PBC had the showtime and Fox deal announced top rank was at ESPN. There really wasn't any space for HBO at that point to be anything other than like the the land of misfit toys basically or maybe like just the the, the exclusive home of, of 
Canelo and Golden Boy, and that's basically it. But that their talent pool there, well, I don't know about the talent pool wasn't deep enough, but they just didn't have the numbers to back up like 16 cards a year, which is what HBO was roughly doing, 14 to 16 cards at that point. So, I don't know how we got here, but... Butterfly effect. Yeah, the butterfly effect. of, And that's why you don't uh, choke your mistress. Because then uh, Connor Ben and Chris Eubank Jr. wind up fighting. That's hilarious. Should we should we slide on over to a showtime? Uh, let me just check the undercard and see if there's anything we should talk about. Oh, so you so just final thing, how do you think this plays out? Eubank is gonna win, man. This is gonna be another Eddie's Eddie breaking his toys story. Not toy story, but Eddie breaking his toys classic. Um, I don't disagree with you. I think Eubank's going to win, but I think this is going to be a much closer fight than people realize. Even better. I mean, I mean it'd be fun to watch. Uh, Felix Cash is on the undercard. He will be fighting um, Connor Coyle. This is two undefeated middleweights. Felix Cash is like a... Ah, uh, he's a rising middleweight. Um... At this point, I don't I don't know if there's much we could say more than that. Um, we'll see. But he's 15 and 0, but he's already 29, so that kind of like lets you know what the score is with this dude. Uh, all right, over in the evening time, you know I'm not gonna watch Ben Eubank live, unfortunately. You're tripping. Nah, I got a birthday party to go to. I almost missed it because. I pick is showing the sh- uh, not the shining, the thing by John Carpenter mm-hmm. at three thirty or four, and I was like gonna go, almost pulled the trigger, but tickets are sold out. So, <laughs> I'll be at the crib. What are you like a big horror fan or something? Come on, man! Halloween, Halloween time. You got to tap in with the classics. Got to. It's mandatory. Okay, what are the top three classics for our horror friends to judge you? Oh, man, there's so many. That's tough. I mean, you got, you got to throw Halloween on there, the original. That's mm-hmm. like a, a timeless banger. Um, classic horror joints. Damn. The Shining's good. I don't know if that's going to be my top three. Um, y'all let me you gotta let me look at like a list. Hold up, let me get back to you on All this right. one. All right, so on Showtime we got Sebastian Fundura. I guess he's defending his WBC interim. I totally forgot that that he had the interim title against Carlos Ocampo, and I actually think that there's like actual justification for there being an interim title. Actually, no, 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 this is not middleweight. I was thinking about middleweight. Um. There's no justification for there being a, an interim title in the WBC sanctioning body at Super Welterweight. But, need, you know, it, whatever, there is. And uh, so Sebastian Fundora, it's actually funny because, like, there are two, the two main fights on this card are fights that the winner will face both Charlo brothers. Or the winners will be facing both Charlo brothers. 
but uh, Sebastian Fundora versus Carlos Ocampo uh, will meet in the main event. Um, Ocampo, I think most people would recognize him as from 2018 when he got stopped in the first round by Errol Spence. He was undefeated at the time, and um, that was first loss of his career. Since then, he's fought almost exclusively in Mexico, and he's been fairly dominant. He ventured to Canada, fought Mikhail Zuski, stopped him, and recently fought Vicente Rodriguez on a Ryan Garcia undercard. I think it was Ryan Garcia. Pretty sure this is Ryan Garcia's card. And he knocked him out in the first round. Actually, it was Jaime Munguia. Um, and now he faces Fundura. So there, there's two thoughts here. So there's like people um, who've told me, look, Ocampo, he's turned a new leaf. Like it's clear that he's become, not become a new person, but like moving to 154 has been a good move for him. But then the other thought of it is like, but this is Sebastian Fundora. Six foot six, 80 inch reach, has inc an incredible gas tank, has a pretty good chin, not great, but a pretty good chin. And everyone he gets in the ring with, with the exception of a few, he overwhelms them. And so the question is, is Ocampo going to be able to do anything that we haven't, that Fundora hasn't seen at this point? Fundora is a bit of a mystery to me still. I mean, you have to take him serious, right? Like him and Lubin was like a fight of the year candidate. But like just the fight before that, he was getting clipped kind of badly by, uh, Javon's boy. Uh, what's my dude from Mexico that always wears the oh, short trunks? Coda, but 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 you're forgetting, and rightfully so, because the fight was the, the rare, terrible Sebastian Fundora fight. But he no, it's uh, but that's the thing. I don't think it's rare. Some guys are just not consistent like that. And and maybe Fundora has hit a level where now because he's on a higher stage that he will be consistent. But like I have to see that to know that. So going into this fight, like, like the obvious choice would be Fundora's just gonna kick his ass. But we don't know if Fundora's consistent yet, and we also don't know what is uh, Ocampo gonna look like. Cause like the guys he's fought, I don't unless you're like Tim Boxeo or like Ova J from Twitter or something like that, you're probably not gonna be familiar with his opponents. And so like he. he one thing you got to give PBC credit for is they give guys a full training camp to get ready, come mentally prepared, and show out and, sh and show up. Ocampo is going to show up. Now, whether he's competitive or not, is I, have, I don't know. I don't know. But he will be prepared. I will say that. The thought that Fundura isn't consistent is actually an interesting one because i was not sold on fundora for a really long time i loved the idea of it and, I, and like it would make me laugh every time i mean i was at his fight against donnie marshall in 2019 and that was my first time seeing him up close uh at a fight and like just seeing him walk to the ring like i i almost started laughing because i'm like this can't be this can't be serious it's one thing to see this guy against like you know 
the prospect level opponents, like the 11 and six dudes that, you know, I think we might've seen like two fights of his before this point. And then seeing him like come walking forward against a 10 and 0 fighter. And this dude is like skin and bones walking to the ring. It was ridiculous. And then he gets in there and he's like, he actually fights really well. But after that, like, you know, I watching him draw with Jamonte Clark, the win against Daniel Lewis on the Fury, uh, the Wilder Fury 2 undercard wasn't, like, inspiring. You mean Sergio Garcia? No, I mean Daniel Lewis. We'll get to Oh, I'm tripping. You're right, my bad. Uh, then, he, then he gets three straight stoppages where he fought, like, um, three times in, like, the span of nine months or something. And then he, then he has a Sergio Garcia fight. And again, we see elements of what we've seen in the past, which is, like, he sometimes struggles to get punches off and he will the Garcia fight. He looked like he gassed pretty badly, but there are other fights where he like moves his arms, but it just seems like nothing is really scoring that effectively. And so I definitely think that there are, and this will probably be a big issue as he moves beyond the level that he's at right now and starts to fight. Actually, it's hard to say because at one 54, it's like there's Jermel Charlo and then there's Fandora really and Tim Zhu as like the the three well, the two mystery guys are Fandora and and Zhu, but then there's obviously the 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 known commodity, which is Jermel Charlo. But like if you think about like, well, how does Fandora do against Castaño? Assuming Castaño doesn't suffer like any like degradation of his skills after the two Charlo fights. I don't know. I could see Fundura having a hell of a an issue with a guy like Castaño. And now the question is, like, does Ocampo bring that to the ring? Anything tricky? Um, his history suggests that no, he doesn't. But I don't know. I, I we we could be wrong about Ocampo. Um, you know what? Something that we haven't really seen Fundora in with is like somebody with one punch, like devastating power. And he'll get like that'll be bad look for him. <laughs> I, I'll just <laughs> never forget. Um, Jermel Charlo was on a podcast and it was a while back. It, I think it was at the beginning of the pandemic. And they asked him, you know, what do you think about this Fundora guy? He's, you know, 6'6. Six, six. And Jermel says, you ever see that clip of uh, Ann Wolf knocking out? I forgot what her name is. And they're like, yeah. He's like, yeah, that'll, that's what'll happen. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, look, Fundura leaves his chin out there. Erickson Lubin put him, put him down. Um, Jorge Cota landed bombs on him. So like, I don't know. But is Ocampo that guy? I don't know. At a minimum, though, I do think we're going to get... This is probably not going to be a fight where we get a Sergio Garcia fight. I think we are going to get an entertaining one in this fight. No, I think that Fundora is gone. I think, like, the amount of love he got from the um, Lubin fight, I expect him to be the guy from the Lubin fight moving forward. But I do still question the consistency. Because you could... Rocked in the seventh round. Yeah, that guy uh, probably wants to avoid Jamel Charlo. Yes, of course. But even 
I mean, listen, man, Jorge Cota was hitting him pretty good. And like, I, I like Cota, but I don't think he's that skilled or like technical or creative of a fighter. And so if he's hitting you with like big loopy ass hooks, like that's not the best sign to me. Um, I don't know, man. I, I, I just, I just, there's a couple of factors at play here. It's at the StubHub Center. No, that's another thing. Like war could break, war breaks out at the StubHub Center. Yeah, so that usually is a pretty good sign that we're about to get get uh, not just action, but like violent action. Um, two. What are the what are the odds? Let me DraftKings real quick. Yeah, look at the DraftKings. I don't know what the odds are. How how soon before? Oh man, I'm actually I got. I got a million dollar idea. <laughs> BoxRec should partner with um, a sports book. Get that advertising dollars and just put the lines on these fights. Tell, tell Gray. Yo, I, no, because I want to cut. My idea. Still gonna cut. Okay, Fundora is minus 900 and Ocampo is plus 550. Yeah, so the only way you're getting value here is if you're betting, you're going to hit the over-under or you're going to pick a round group. I think probably anywhere that in, any is going to include round four to six maybe. Probably the sweet spot. If you think... If you think Fundor is going to stop this dude and Ocampo hasn't really progressed that much from the Spence fight. I agree 46 should be like the money spot, but I, I do think Ocampo is going to come. Yo, man, dudes come game on, on PBC. Motherfuckers come ready. That's why you always see these goofy-ass upsets. And uh, I'm not saying this one will be that, but... You know, this is this is also like that gut check time for Fundura where he may be feeling himself after the Lubin fight. He's got this interim title. He's right on the cusp of a really big fight. This is what they call a trap game. Might might be you know, he may find himself in a lot tougher than he than he expected. Which is good for me. And and you and and you listening, it's it's good for all of us if if uh these dudes go to war. Um, let's see on the undercard. Great undercard. Great undercard. Yeah, I actually think the Adamus Montiel fight is probably going to be the the fight of the night. You know, like I mean, I guess I do, but like I, I wish that fight got more attention. Maybe I'll post some highlights on Twitter or something because like that fight has all the makings of like I don't say fight of the year, but it's just like a great matchup. Like you have one guy that. He's technical, but he he does fight. He's willing to step in there and bang a little bit. And Montiel, judging from what he bought in the Charlo fight, is like he's what you you know he's blood and guts, and he he says he's in better shape than before. So I think it's gonna be like it's gonna be a banger, man. And I I can see Montiel winning for real, for real. Um, I can too, actually. But I mean, look, I saw Montiel fight against Hugo, Hugo Centeno. Uh, it was at the, uh, it was on the Charlo Harrison undercard, and I I thought he should have won that. Fight. Um, he's had some up and ups and downs in his career, 
and it looks like he's just not consistent. Like, I, I think he probably doesn't always prepare himself properly. And it's why we've seen him over in the early parts of his career not have the greatest success against fighters that now know, you know, now seeing the, the full, see, seeing him against Jamel or Jamal, seeing him against um, Hugo Centeno, you get the sense of like, okay, maybe this guy, um, when he shows up and he's right, he's at least a lot better than what his record says. That doesn't mean he's great. That doesn't mean you're ever going to favor him against like a top tier dude. But um, but yeah, I think, I think he might be a little better. But even so, even if he's just the guy who we think he is or what he, his record says, I think that's still going to be a good entertainment matchup for Adamus. And let's not forget that Adamus has had issues gassing in fights. And Montiel performed really well for all 12 rounds against Jamal. Or at least, at least he didn't gas. So that could make things really interesting. Um, and the other thing with Adamus is like, he's either going to stop you early or you're going to drag this dude into a very tough decision. So if this fight doesn't end early, I think Adamus is going to find himself in a fight that's tougher. Just like Fandora will find himself in a fight that's a lot tougher than he realizes. This just, I expect this to just be an all-out banger. The one thing I'll, I'll give uh, Adamus is like the Dominican fighters are rolling right now. Like they're they all seem to be hot. Something's clicking in with the culture and the DR. I don't know what it is. Whatever it is, they got it right now because all their fighters are doing pretty well. And so that you know he may continue the uh, the trend of DR fighters winning. Uh, that's a good point. Um, you know, these certain countries have a little run where it seems like their guys just keep winning. And it's, this may be the year of the, the Dominican Republic. Uh, or Juan Montiel can put a stop to all of that and uh, stop this guy. Are you going, by the way? Uh, no, I'm going to a birthday party. Oh, man, that's right. You did say that. I don't know, man. That birthday party may have to wait. Uh, I'm hosting it, so <laughs> wouldn't be a good look. But, um, but yeah, otherwise I would definitely go to this. Th I mean, this is a great card. Like, if you got nothing to do, this is a great card to just like park yourself at. Because I mean, like, what it lacks in like the A side names, I think a lot of these matchups are are good. There's a lot of like names you would recognize, or these are fights that's like, all right, this is pretty fairly matched. Um, and then, and I'm talking about like on the untelevised undercard, um, the opener is, by the way, the Adamus Montiel fight is for the WBC interim title, which this is a case where the actual interim title makes sense because Jamal suffered the back injury. So this dude has been out of action. So in this case, you do make an interim championship. Uh, Joe Cordina just recently got stripped by the IBF on like a four month delay for an injury. That is a little quick with the trigger, but, um, you know, because typically if there's an injury, that is justification for an interim. But I don't know what happened there that they decided that they were just going to order a different fight. That don't make any sense to me. Anyway, opener. I think I, I think I got the order right. Fernando Martinez, Jerwin on Cajas rematch for the IBF Super Flyweight title. They met earlier this year. 
And uh, Fernando Martinez, I mean, I might be misremembering. It was an entertaining fight, but like he beat the shit out of German on Cajas, if I remember correctly. No, you, you got it correct. He put it on him a little bit. Pause. I think it was a good fight, though. It was a very entertaining fight. Jerwin just looked a little like he didn't have that that pop. Like, you look like an older fighter who's kind of just, like, on his last legs. Mm -hmm. um, I like that they're running it back. I just don't know if the outcome will be much different, judging on what I saw the first fight. Yeah, what I, I remember thinking, like, Ancajas is done in that fight. And I feel like, you know, Ancajas did probably the best he could have in that fight and still came up short on, like, a 9-3 decision. I think this time around, even if Ancas is able to steal a few rounds, this is going to be a dominant win for Fernando Martinez and maybe even a stoppage. And like, you think about it, Ancas is 30 years old, fighting at super flyweight. Um, you know, that wall comes a lot quicker in the lower weight classes than it does up higher. And so it is 100% possible that at 30, we're already seeing, we've already seen like the tail end of Ancajas' prime. And Martinez is, you know, also up there in age, but like the dude has far fewer fights. Most of his fights have taken place against lesser opposition in Argentina. So like there's not as many miles on this dude's, um, on this dude than there is, there are on German on Cajas. Um, I think this is another fight where, like, based on the location, it could just end up being like a, uh, like a blood in, a blood and guts <laughs> war or whatever you want to call it. I think there's potential. I mean, look, it's super flyweight. There have been, uh, I mean, there are countless examples of fights at super flyweight that are just absolute wars so that would not shock me whatsoever also on the undercard and i don't know if this is going to be broadcast i hope it is but uh mean machine egis kavalaskas that's on youtube by the way it's on youtube okay cool oh god does this mean we're gonna have to do the zoom commentary with brian campbell i hope not uh Igis Kavalaskis will be facing Michael Fox. Michael Fox making his return after uh, last year, Gabe Maestre, where he should have got a really wide decision, but instead all three judges gave the fight to Gabe Maestre despite getting dropped and uh, seemingly losing just about every single round to Michael Fox. Uh, Maestre still got it. Clearly the WBA, who has some... I mean, really, if you never looked into it, the WBA had some connection to Maestre's like actual promotion of his career, and um, they thought that they could get one, get they could pull a fast one here by sliding a WBA interim title onto Maestre. But uh, even with racist judge Gloria Martinez Rizzo, who had it the widest, one seventeen, one ten to Maestre, Maestre did not win more than two rounds in this fight. Um, I think the boxing community came together 
in solidarity, like for once and backed Michael Fox here. And so, I mean, unfortunately, Michael Fox has been out of the ring for a year now. So it'll be interesting to see what version we get out of him. But um, Kavalovskis lost two of his last three, the two losses being to Virgil Ortiz and Terrence Crawford. So I don't know what where Kavalovskis is at with his career, but this is a, a decent fight to see where he's at. And also, I just want to toss out that I thought that he had signed like a multi-fight deal with Golden Boy in order to get to Virgil Ortiz fight. I'm curious how this dude is finding himself on this undercard. Was it just a one-fight deal? I don't know. I don't know. It's I feel like it's interesting to me because... It's like a makeup opportunity for Mikel Fox, but I don't feel like Mikel Fox is on this level at all, or Michael Fox, however you say it. And I, I know he's on Twitter and he's like down with the homies or whatever, but I just don't think it's like, like if Mean Machine is like anything like what he was prior, it should be easy work for real. You're a fucking hater. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I'm I'm kidding, but I'm about to say. But you, you can't ride with, with Michael Fox here? Yo, I'm a realist. Like, shout out to Michael Fox, but I just think me and Machine is, a, is, is at a higher level. Could be wrong. If Yo, if I'm wrong, I'm going to give him a shout. Like, I'm not, I don't want to see him lose. I, like, I'm just calling what I think it is. I just want to say. I think, like, I, Michael Fox is like, he doesn't have any championship experience. He, you know, like, a cool little boxer, got some talent, but he not, like, nasty. Like, Mean Machine's got some experience. He's got some punching power. He's been in the ring with Virgil and, and Bud and, like, did rounds with them for real. I just want to say, uh, I, I mean, that Fazladin Gabe Nazarov, an Olympian from Uzbekistan, um... You know, turn pro, and do you want to know who beat the light welterweight gold medalist? I mean, I'm not a big Olymp like Michael Fox. <laughs> All right, so before you come out here trying to slander the good name of Michael Fox, I just want you to know who he who he has got on his like the bodies that he's got on him. The bodies. Oh my god. <laughs> okay. Maybe not quite the bodies, but I mean that's a decent win. Sure. I mean, we'll listen, we'll see. Like, I would love to see him win. It'd be it'd be good for just like how he got did dirty against uh Maestre, who also tried to skin his gloves. People forgot about that part. Oh, that's right. And Joe Guzman was explaining, like, the whole process of, like, what skidding is and how it works. People don't even talk about that. They just talk about the judge. They tried to fuck him over big time. So if he won, it'd be a nice little, like, karma giving him, you know, a little bone back. But I guess we'll see. Um, either way, it works for me. Um, Who's, Who is on, on the untelevised portion? Is it anyone we know? Uh, or is it not even like posted on Boxer? 
I don't know if maybe you won't know them, but I know I recognize all the, a lot of these names. So Let's see. obviously Fundura's sister is going to be on the card. Her opponent Gabby. one. I don't know what that means, but like if she's, if that's a good nine to one or not, but whatever. Um, Victor Slavinsky, who lost his last fight, he's 13 and one. He will be facing Edward Vasquez. Um, again, I don't know if this is like great, but 13 to one versus 12 and one. They're both somewhat closely re- like ranked on box rack. So at a minimum, this probably should be like some good, decent action. Brandon Lynch, who is Eddie Murphy's nephew and recently fought um, and beat, I think is Marcos Hernandez. Was it Marcos or was it Vladimir? Marcos. Okay, he he fought Marcos Hernandez. I was at that fight, um, and he won despite getting dropped in the second round. Um, he was fighting a guy who's eleven and twelve. This is probably the worst fight on the card. And then Justin Cardona, who's a little prospect coming up, he's fighting a dude who's five and one. Elijah Garcia, who's eleven and zero, fighting a dude who's seven and one. Uh, and then this is the best one, guys. Okay, save the best for last. <laughs> Yumir. Marshall, Martial. Does that name ring a bell? I know him. So, Ymir Martial is, um, well, was a highly touted, touted Filipino amateur who went to um, the World Amateurs. Uh, and, you know, he's touted as like a... I guess a, a great amateur or whatever. Um, made his pro debut last uh, 2020. And it was uh, a little rough. Whenever you make your pro debut and you have uh, the, like the, the baby version of Hagler Hearns, it's probably not a good sign for your career. But Ymir won the fight. Two years passed. I think he went and tried to go fight in the Olympics or something, and maybe he didn't make it. I don't know. But um, (laughs) earlier this year, in uh, April, he fought on an undercard against a dude who was 6-2. and Martial was down three times in that fight and looked like just badly out of it. And the moment he looked like he had his opponent hurt, I I guess he did have his opponent hurt. Um, The referee stepped in, quickly stopped it and said, that's enough here. We're not about to uh, let Manny Pacquiao's boy take a loss on the cards. And so now that brings us to his third pro fight this weekend against Steven Pichardo. Um, this will be a four rounder. It's probably going to be the very first fight on the card. So like, if you're interested in seeing the, uh, the wild ride that has been Ymir Marcial's career thus far, you should probably get there early as soon as the doors open, uh, to cause, cause nobody's gonna, this is not going to be televised in any way. So we are not going to know what ha- like we won't have any video evidence. So if you are going to go. I need you to record it and and post that on the timeline for us because 
whatever the result says on box rec on Sunday, I'm going to question it no matter what, whether he wins, whether he loses. Hmm. I don't know. I just, I'm going to need to see it with my own two eyes. I think it'll pop up on YouTube. Like the, his last fight did, to be honest. Well, the initial clips of him, of that fight, like they cut off so fast. So I don't, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm a little skeptical. Yeah, I hope if, if it's anything like his last fight, we, we may not see it because that shit was. Although, although it did pop up eventually, like, it was a bad look for someone who's supposed to be a big, a big, uh, a big thing coming out of the Philippines. I think they also and, he was supposed to be a puncher. I, I'm not. Yes, it. yes, yes, yes. I don't know, but the the card is good enough. I think, um, you know, tickets at the StubHub Center are usually not cheap. So if you're in the LA area and looking for something to do, um, I don't know, you can do this, or you can <laughs> watch preseason basketball, which I did yesterday, by the way. I was doing it today too, watching Zion. Shout out to him. Shout out to the that he needs a nickname. You you don't get a nickname when your name is Zion. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, okay, so a couple of news-related things. Let's just... Look, I'm just going to say this one time. Don't fall for the trap of the back and forth of the Spence-Crawford negotiations. All right? Everyone wants to think that and, and live this out like it's a soap opera and they're living and dying on every little breadcrumb that you get. All right? If you just think logically, the fight has to happen. And if it doesn't, well, those dudes found a really good reason to go against all logic, okay? Um, really, they, they, there's just no real way. They've both backed themselves into a corner where they have to fight each other um, there was a quote from Steven Espinoza this week that was somewhat encouraging if you can read between the lines. Um, so yeah, I, I'll just say this. I'm not worried about the fight. Okay. Take that for however you want, but I am not worried about this fight whatsoever. Um, surprise, surprise, everyone. I don't actually, Lex, you probably believe that it was going to happen. Fury and Joshua are not going to fight. Come on. You know me better than that. For those of you that are like, oh my God, how, how guys, the fight was never going to happen. The moment, okay, first of all, I mean, like, the moment you try to start a negotiation through the media, it, it, it's more about, you care more about the way that is going to play out than you do about the fight actually getting signed for one. But for two, um, when you hear deadlines getting tossed out, you know you're not dealing with a serious person. Because in the business sense, like a deadline is something that you're using for leverage. And you don't just throw it out as like, oh, well, we have a dead, like that's not how it works. You want the person to feel the pressure from the deadline, not the public. And when the, the deadlines become public, that clearly means that you're not actually trying to make this happen. Which Fury tried to throw out the, the deadline, which is hilarious because Hearn has many times in the past used that same tactic, finally had it used on him, 
And uh, yeah, these dudes are never going to fight. It's clear that, I don't know, I think Char is actually going to be the one Fury fights. And the one question I actually have, and I don't see anybody really asking this, is like, if you're Tyson Fury, you're coming off of the fight with Dillian White. You had a great victory. Um, Usyk has made it clear that he's not going to fight uh, in the short term because of injuries and, and whatnot. Um, Joe Joyce, who I think would be a great fight, but he just recently fought. And I know the dude is like a, a machine, but I also think that's a bit unrealistic. So like, what is the pull for Fury to do another fight this year? No one is asking why, like that question of like, well, why is he trying to fight so badly, even if it's against somebody like Manuel Char? By the way, Manuel Char actually has a case for being mandated to fight the WBA champion, which is not Fury. But if you remember correctly, Manuel Char was stripped. Um... There are two other points about um, Char that I want to make. But Manuel Char was basically in that long back and forth about fighting uh, Trevor Bryan. And then the WBA strip Char ordered Bryan Stavern, which then paved the way for Dubois to beat Bryan, which means that technically Daniel Dubois has gotten a title over faster than Joe Joyce, who made this dude quit on his stool due to that eye injury. Crazy how that plays out. But I also would like to point out, and uh, you can take this however you want, but Manuel Char also got shot four times. What? That, <laughs> yeah. You didn't know that? No. <laughs> um. He got shot in a drive-by. I, I, I'm trying to remember what year it was. Mm. 2015, he got shot. Four times. Took it in the chest. Or the abdomen or whatever. I mean, I I don't like the whole heavyweight thing. Is I'm I'm very uninterested. It's all silly to me. It's a, it's a lot of posturing from Fury side and AJ side, and I I think it's just disingenuous. They're not really. It's selfish. They do I, it for attention, huh? I think that like for AJ side, this was such a layup. Like they like Fury. It was so easy, and I think even for for the whole, AJ's entire side, it was probably like super obvious right from the jump to like this dude's not serious just just play along with him and let's just use it to dunk on him publicly and like try to call the bluff and make him look stupid and i think in part it did work because like you're starting to see fury fans even like a little tired of this whole song and dance but like what is it like like achieve like on a bigger level it just is dumb like just be honest just be like yo we're not interested in that kind of fight right now we're going to take the year off and, and like re regroup by January or February or whatever. Like I don't, I don't see like Fury looks dumb on his own. Like he's showing up at fights, coked out of his mind. He's not working out whenever he does something public. He's like intoxicated. Like he doesn't need any help embarrassing himself. The best thing you can do with Fury is ignore him. 
he'll just make himself look stupid. I don't remember the context, but I'm just like looking through this thread of like when Char got shot and uh, someone accusing Deontay Wilder of having something to do with it. It's hilarious. Um, but yeah, whatever, like fight Char, like, okay, fight Char, like see how that goes with the, with the boxing fans. Like people want Fury to disappear. Like he's not fun. He's not entertaining. Like he was useful for as long as it took to like get over on Wilder and his, his purpose, he served his purpose. And now what? Like, well, I guess it, it served the point that they wanted, which is like to get this easy win publicly, but whatever. Um, let's see. Uh, there's a bunch of other like little small news, but it feels like things are moving very slowly. Like PBC is in their typical, like we don't really like to do a lot of stuff when the NFL is going on, which I understand, but is annoying. Um, Top Rank is, uh, I think they're also... They haven't publicly come out and said anything, but I think they're in a similar situation where they are not really being given anything from ESPN right now because they don't want to go against college football. And the one thing that um, I was thinking about this past week, and I think like definitely something to start to think about, is uh, how many cards has Golden Boy done this year? That's why I think we're going to get Tank Ryan, but that's a whole other story. To answer your question, now, not many. I, I already told you guys that that was going to happen. I said it literally at like in like March. I said it in 20, 2019. <laughs> Fuck off. No, you didn't. I'm joking. I'm joking. Because uh, I said it in 2017. There you go. <laughs> No, no, no. I but is similar to Spence and Crawford. Where are these guys going to go? The other fights are just not feasible for these guys. Um, they're just too many hurdles, and like sometimes, like well, the fans will always win. You know, like they said, like the customer's always right. The fans almost always win in boxing, whether you think so or not. And I think I feel like a lot of people like get caught up in like, no, we don't. No, no, no. You actually do. We always get the fights. I mean, I've watched boxing long enough. We almost always get the fights that we want. Now, the timing may not be exactly when, but the way I find, or the way I think about it is the timing is usually better when it does actually happen than when people think it's the right time. And um, I think these two guys uh, have no other path other than through each other. And then they're like, I don't know. The social media stuff is a little different than it usually is. So, like, I'm pretty convinced that that's the next fight for these two dudes. So, but again, don't live and die by the social media stuff because you never know when these guys are like actually working to promote and these guys are just like in a bad mood. I don't know. Or they're just trying to use them to like, well, let's, let's, let's get our, our names out there for today which is something that I think Tyson Fury kind of does every now and then. Uh, Leo Santa Cruz. So, so Lee Wood is the WBA champion. He had the knockout win over Michael Conlon. And um, 
so the WBA said like, all right, what, you know, once you get this done, you got to fight Leo Santa Cruz because he's a super champion. And then he wins and Leo's team was like, we are going to unify with Ray Vargas. And so the WBA said, you know what? That's cool. And then, then they've come around and said, well, we actually haven't gotten any signed contracts. So we're just now going to, and so Lee Wood had a fight, then he got injured. And then now Lee Wood is like, um, been mandated again by the WBA to fight Leo Santa Cruz. And I think both sides are probably like, what is going on here? We, we didn't do it. Like no one requested this. Uh, but again, the WBA, much like the other sanctioning bodies just make up things as they go along to do things that they think will, you know, make a difference for the sport. And realistically they don't. So that was a long way to say, um, who knows what's going on with the 126 pound WBA titles because I don't right now at this point. And also Ray Vargas has stated his intention to go to 130 to most likely fight for the WBC title against Oshaki Foster, which maybe means that Leo Santa Cruz is actually going to go through with the Lee Wood fight. I don't know. None of it makes that much sense. So with that said, we will wrap it up right here. Thank you guys for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, we try to stay on topic, but I had to go. We had to go on a couple of tangents here today. So uh, I hope you guys enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the fights. Much needed after. Actually, sometimes I'm like, you know, we do kind of need a break every now and then from from the sport. But uh, yeah, any final things you want to say? Ready for Saturday. I think it's going to be a good one. Rate and review the podcast if you like it. If you don't, then, well... Find another one. I hear um who's got the Porter actually, you know what? Porterway podcast had really good reviews, but then apparently somebody left the podcast and now people are, are like not happy. I don't know. I don't way podcast is trash. Wow, you get why you could slander Sean because they're not honest on there. Sean Sean it's Sean Porter doing his best job to make everyone happy so he can continue to get he got jobs. Yeah, because he goes on Porterway podcast and kisses everyone's ass. Swag. Hey, man, he's just trying to get paid. Can't hate on that. Yeah, that's cool. But like, don't masquerade your attempt to get paid as a podcast where you're like covering boxing. You're just chilling for happiness. Uh, well, that yeah. Um, <laughs> what other podcasts are there? I don't know. But thank you guys for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. We will be back next week. And if you want more podcasts, maybe this wasn't enough for you. Maybe you wanted to hear us talk about... Um, what did we talk about in the pregame? Everything. No, Topanga. No, we did not. Well, we did, but we didn't talk that long about that. That was not what it was about. That was mentioned. Whew. We talked about... Oh, man, I forget, to be honest. I just remember talking about all the... An hour uh, ago that we recorded that, and now... I remember talking about all the all the 90s TV shows, heartthrobs. Well, we, we spent like two minutes talking about that, so... Yeah, that's that's... You know what? 
that's a bad sign for us. It's <laughs> too late or our brains are definitely no longer functioning at the same capacity that they were 10 years ago. So good time to wrap it up. But if you want more access to podcasts every, every week, you know, well, most weeks before we record, we start the recording a little bit earlier and we do what we call the pregame where we get warmed up, talk about non super like pertinent issues for this week. And we'll talk about random things. We'll talk about boxing history a little bit. I think that's what we were talking about. We were talking about, um, we talked about Miguel Cotto, I think. I think that's what we were talking about. We were talking about Miguel Cotto. Um, and just kind of like the run that he had after getting with Freddie Roach. We talked about that and that went in a bunch of different directions, a whole bunch of other things. So if you want that, also access to our chat where, you know, you could chat with us and the crew. Um, everyone's in there usually just chopping it up during the day. Go over to patreon.com slash Sunday Puncher. One dollar gets you in, but you can pay more if you want to just flex on these these guys for a little bit. Anyway, do that or not. Till next time, I hope you guys enjoy the fights.